0: Welcome to the Future Fair Food Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie.
1: And I'm Sinead. Join us in conversations with the changemakers shaping a new, fairer food system.
0: Welcome back to our podcast series. And we're starting off 2019 with an interview with the Grand Dame of Irish Food, Darina Allen. We ask her to share with us her vision of the future of Irish food. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Dorina. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And this is the first podcast of the new year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'd like to ask you just your personal, maybe, vision of the future of food and farming in Ireland. <laughs> oh, well, now, that's a
2: big question, isn't it, really? <laughs> yes. But uh, in uh, a couple of days' time, our, our January 12 week certificate students will be coming in from all over the world. And they are coming here to the Ballymelew Cookery School because the school is actually located in the middle of a farm. It's a 100-acre organic farm and gardens. And we're in a very fortunate position that we can actually produce and grow a lot of the food that the students will be cooking with and that's why they literally come from all over the world to what's perceived by many people still as the land of corned beef and cabbage but uh, the first thing I do when they arrive on the very first morning is to introduce them uh, to the farm manager and to the gardeners and uh, to say to them, these are the food heroes who actually are will be working day in day out to produce and to grow the produce. A lot of the produce that you're going to be cooking with over the next twelve weeks here, and it'll take Eileen there three months uh, or more even to grow those beautiful carrots for you. And don't you dare boil the hell out of them you get them <laughs> into the kitchen. And then I have a wheelbarrow. Uh, they, we walk outside. Uh, into the the fruit garden and they stand around I me and then I've got a wheelbarrow of soil and I run my hands through the soil in fa- and and I say to them, remember, this is where it all starts in the good earth. You know, you, you won't have um, you won't have good food and clean water unless you have rich, fertile soil. And uh, then they're looking at me and thinking, my God, you didn't say anything <laughs> like this in the brochure. You know, some aged himpy on a mission. Uh, but I have to shock them out of thinking that food is something that comes wrapped in plastic off a supermarket shelf I have got them to get them to start right from the get-go to thinking about how food is produced where it comes from the breed the feed the variety uh, etc and I really need them to think about the four or five inches of soil around the world that we all Totally depend on. And uh, again, I emphasize over and over again that we only exist because of this soil. And I quote Lady Eve Balfour of the Soil Association, who has many quotable quotes, and I say, remember, the health of the soil, the health of the plant, the health of the animal, and the health of the human are all one and connected. And uh, so that by this stage, they eyes are as big as saucers. <laughs> but anyway, but then I go back to my wheelbarrow of soil and say, look, this... Is, so, And I run my hands through it, and I say to them, what is this? And some will say soil and then those who come from America will call it dirt because that's mm. what they call mm. it dirt and then um, and and you know I was very involved earlier on in the, the campaign for don't treat the soil like dirt mm-hmm. but anyway yeah. dirt for us here in this part of the world is a derogatory mm. uh, a, a derogatory name so I go back to my wheelbarrow and run my fingers to it again and say what is this? And uh, some of them say soil, and then the students who come from North America perhaps will say, this is dirt. And I say, well, yes, yeah, soil or dirt, depending on which you, uh, what name you, you're familiar with. But actually, it's more than that. This is actually humus, uh, which is... Uh, this is actually compost, which has actually been brought to the humus stage when life comes back into it again. And for us, this is like black gold this is what we feed the soil with and uh, as organic farmers we're absolutely passionate about feeding the soil because they as I've already said the healthier the soil the healthier the plant the healthier the human and the less disease and we see this with our own eyes on the farm all the time but actually in that wheelbarrow it's even more interesting because in the wheelbarrow is the compost made from the scraps of food left over from the morning's cooking of Mm -hmm. the students on that particular course 12 months earlier and that is collected up in buckets in the kitchen we we then take it out and feed it to the hens uh, in the hen run and they pick out the bits they want and then uh, what's left by the end of the week is taken down and put onto the compost heap and that goes back onto the soil to make the soil more fertile. So it's, this is a very important message about having a holistic system and having a sustainable system and having a closed system where everything goes back into the soil. Everything organic in the other centres mm. of the world, anything that will break down and rot, goes back into the soil to feed the soil microbes and all of the other amazing bacteria and things that are in the soil which we know a little about, but still I have a feeling we know very little about mm. the magic that's going on underneath the soil. Yes. So uh, talking about a vision, that was a big long uh, uh, rigmarole <laughs> uh, uh, that's that, uh, almost going off piece in answer to your question about a vision. Well, basically, I would so love for everybody, not just farmers and food producers, to be completely... Um, completely aware of the importance of looking after the soil. Mm. Um, really, we are in real trouble with our soils. There's a growing concern about the diminishing fertility of the soils. Even here in Ireland, there's absolutely no room for complacency. So I've heard several soil scientists say that they reckon that our uh, our soils here in Ireland are on average 40% Less fertile than they used to be, and there are lots of mineral deficiencies and so on. So I'm not sure that colleges emphasise enough to the young farmers and horticulturalists uh, the that everything depends on looking after the soil. And of course, if you're organic farmers, one doesn't use pesticides or herbicides or any of those things. Nor do we absolutely want to under any circumstances. But basically, uh, it bec- we are completely. Passionate about looking after the soil and uh, sort of almost paranoid about it, <laughs> and uh, but it's very interesting. Uh, the richer, more fertile our soils have become, and of course it's really good to get your soils tested as well, so you can actually, you know, see what's going on on your farm. But the more fertile our soils have become from putting back, uh, feeding back more and more compost back into the soil, and also seaweed, which we collect from the local beaches, because here in East Cork we're very close to. Uh, this strand at Balnamuna and Garivu and after storms we can collect lots of seaweed and bring it up and put that into the compost and out onto the soil as well now as we have been doing this uh, religiously for over a decade we notice a huge improvement in the fertility of our soils we've been organic here for about I suppose about 26 or 27 years before that we were conventional um, farmers but not using a huge amount of pesticides Um, But anyway, the the fertility of the soil has come up and up. And interestingly, we find that we have much less problem with pests and diseases. Mm. It's really palpable. And, you know, we have an acre of greenhouses here as well. So we see the things both inside and outside. Mm. And uh, I remember when we decided to go organic and we are certified with the Irish Organic Trust. um, I remember being shocked when um the facilitator came here and i said to him how long will it take to build up the fertility of the soil again he said it oh, will take 20 years i said 20 oh, well. years how could it take 20 years considering we weren't even farming all that intensively he was absolutely right yeah. uh, so that but this is it's really uh, it's been a very interesting journey and you know, our a lot of our gardeners and uh, those who are working with us on the farm weren't at all convinced when we decided to go farm organic originally. Mm-hmm. But now they are like so convinced uh, they can because seeing is believing. Yes, and also it? the animals uh, on our farm, and we have both cows and. Uh, some cattle we have pigs and chickens and everything and i remember the vet saying to us oh it wasn't all that long after we went organic actually i remember him he would have to come very rarely and i remember him saying i'd be broke if i was depending on you guys because i have to come here so seldom but again it was you know because the the health of the animals and and then we also use a certain amount of homeopathic medicine Mm. as well so i think back to this vision again so uh, i would love to see a, a much 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 greater emphasis on um the importance of rebuilding the fertility of the soil for all of the reasons because rich soil also produces much more nutrient dense food mm. which is a really really important uh, point as well and um also i would love i know it'll sound very old fashioned uh, to a lot of progressive young farmers but basically i am i think Every farm should be making compost. I mean, mm-hmm. what are we like that all of this wonderful, rich um, material that can, you know, enrich in, uh, our soil and improve our soil, we're actually not really capitalising on it. So we make compost on, well, what is probably quite a large scale for Ireland here. We actually make it in bays and mm-hmm. turn it with a front loader mm. uh, every week and so on, and um, you know, everybody on the farm here is totally fascinated by the compost. <laughs> and, you know, we have it at the different stages. And then, you know, you can see the life beginning to come back into it again. And we, t- we take it nice and slowly, you know, to be seven or eight months, uh, you know, where it's sort of... I mean, I know you can speed up compost making, but we prefer to do it more slowly and let nature take its course. And then mm. the joy of putting this out on the soil, and I can almost hear the little microbes and bacteria in the soil going, <laughs> <smug> <laughs> absolutely delighted with what's Heeding coming down. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And of course, my overall vision for Ireland, which I hope I live to see the day happens, is Ireland, the organic food island. And, you know, I've just come back from America. I've been at a conference in Baltimore, the Western A. Price Foundation Conference. And Weston Aid Price... Um, it promotes a diet that helps you to reach optimum health, so to speak, and also or to recover your health um, if you have, you know, if you have an autoimmune disease or lots of other ailments. So it was very interesting. There were nearly a thousand people at this conference and so many of them were really grasping at the Western A Price philosophy and and way of eating Um, real food (laughs) no Mm. processed food and and you know butter and raw butter and raw milk and broths and and lard and organ meats and all of that kind of traditional food as well as other things but absolutely no processed food but so many people were at that conference were were Grasping on to Western aid price in desperation to recover their health, or to learn how to feed their families in a way that would keep them healthy, and but the big problem in America, and of course it's a problem to a certain extent over here as well, uh, is that it's getting more and more difficult to get. Find real food. Mm. Even if you know what you should eat, it's actually really quite difficult. In America, you can multiply that by four. So there's a real desperation to find real food. And of course, I would always be encouraging people to grow something themselves as well. But back to Ireland, my vision for Ireland, the organic food island. Not only are we blessed by nature with a very high proportion of Fertile, rich, fertile soil, anyway, and we have plenty of water, no shortage of rain at the moment, mm. a long growing season. I mean, we are blessed in so many ways, but we can, because we're favoured by nature in such a way, produce possibly the very best food in the world mm. healthy, wholesome. Uh, nourishing food. And there's no question or doubt about it that as things inevitably get worse and worse in all of these countries uh, and the the health problems become even more extreme, and it's already a crisis with a capital C, basically, the, what people are going to be desperate to source, and uh, whole nations are going to be desperate to source, is food they can trust. Is food mm. nourishing? nutrient-dense food that will heal the population and keep them healthy and can you imagine if our our government our department of health and so on and our department and our department of agriculture had the vision to see forget all of the philosophy of it just look at it from plain economics Mm. from the point of view of economics uh, it would make it would make so much sense. Can you imagine what it would mean to the prosperity of the farmers and food producers all over the country? And that's and so uh, as it is, our country is dependent on exporting food. So food would, is such a driver of the economy anyway that this could be a big game changer. Mm. And Ireland is Ireland could do this uh, because of because of all the natural attributes we have in Ireland. Yes. When I came here originally, uh, we weren't actually uh, farming organically. But at a certain point, I kind of had a crisis uh, because I would regularly uh, and felt very strongly that of the importance of using fresh, local, naturally produced food and food from our own garden and so on uh, for to you know uh, for to feed my family and also for the students of the cooking school. I remember my Eureka moment was one day when I was giving a cooking class. And uh, talking about the importance of using fresh, naturally produced, as much local food as possible and uh, as much in season as possible. And I remember looking out to the window and there was a tractor with a big sprayer spraying out in a field behind uh, the cooking school. Because at that stage, my brother-in-law was farming the land around the school, growing a, a rotation of uh, barley, sugar beet and potatoes and I looked out and I suddenly thought well, what a hypocrite <laughs> uh, and I just couldn't bear it any longer I remember coming back into my husband and saying look i i can't stand it any longer i know too much about it. at this stage we cannot say that we don't know the damage that the herbicides and pesticides are doing mm. to our health and the health of the and of the soil and the environment and the animals and everything else we can't plead ignorance anymore so basically i just said to him look we have to i can't stand it anymore we have to uh, we have to convert to organic. And uh, so we talked about it and uh, then we converted, uh, went into conversion the following year because I'll tell you what, it was very important for me to be able to look somebody straight in the eye and to actually know that every bit of food that I produced on this farm that I was feeding them or giving them the produce to cook with was actually doing them good rather mm. than a damage. And I actually feel... Not every farmer feels this necessarily, and a lot of them are in very difficult situations. So, but I feel very strongly that I have a moral obligation to actually produce food that is healthy and wholesome, uh, rather than food that's do- doing people a
1: damage. I like that because um, a lot of the farmers that we have on our map, that we you know we mm. hope people use, so they can find yeah. the producers close to them. Every one of them that we've spoken to see their philosophy, their ethos is the exact same as that. They feel really. this real connection a, a to moral obligation, yeah, yeah. and yes. the land and everything to produce good food. Yeah, and that's what yeah. they want. They want to produce food for a local yeah. community. You know, yeah. It's very, exactly. it's a yeah, very exactly. and I think when you have that, you do care and connect with your yeah. soil and yeah. stuff like yeah. that more. Well, it's
2: you know it's hard now knowing what we know mm. to lie in bed at night uh, and. You know, to pour on, you know, the pesticides and herbicides. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if even half of what the research seems to be saying about glyphosate and Roundup is true, it, we still have a moral obligation to ban it in, in yes. for the future of our children, health of our children and grandchildren. There's no question about
0: it. Yeah, that's the only way we can build trust also between yeah, the farmers the farm, yeah. and, yeah. and the, the eaters and the citizens. Yes.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Um, so and and I also feel so blessed that to actually to live on the land and to have inherited a farm and uh, certainly for me and for my husband it's incredibly important to build on this and to pass on the farm in even better condition than we got it and actually to develop a totally sustainable. And holistic unit it's a small farm of just 100 acres to pass on to our children and grandchildren um, and that's one of the main things that uh, keeps us enthusiastic and so on um, because let's face it how will our children our grandchildren ever be able to have access to this variety of food this biodiversity uh, unless they live on a farm, so mm-hmm. I just uh, I joke with the with the, the students who come from all over the world here to the Kukri School, saying to them, you know, uh, what we have to we have to find you a farmer with a, a big uh, we have to find you a, a strong farmer with a uh, with a combine harvester
1: <laughs> and, and so on. So whatever happens, roll your eyes at the farmers. So you'll have a little
2: land, and then you can grow some of your own vegetables and fruit and lovely fresh herbs and really good produce that'll be um, you know so easy to. Make taste delicious, and we we'll keep you healthy and wholesome. Mm. Yes,
1: right. I think that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah and what what I think is beautiful is that uh, you're conveying this message to the students here in the, in oh, the, yeah. in the school. Oh my
2: god, this is like mm. absolutely woven in now to everything.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel very strongly
2: about all of this, and pass on, of course, the. The message and the philosophy to the students who come from all over the world because it's literally integrated in and out of every day, and they have the opportunity while they're here on the farm to go down uh, to meet the gardeners in the morning, go down with the farm manager. They learn how to sow seeds. They, um, you know, they have a little patch of ground that they can grow in while they're here if they want to as well. Um, But it's uh, and they really they they come here because they can see how food is produced. They can reconnect with how their food is produced. Uh, and they they a lot of the millennials really want to do mm-hmm. this. They feel they've been robbed of this mm-hmm. part of life's experience. And uh, they are really, really interested. But the last book I wrote was a, a one, a great big home. It's about an, a kilo and a half. You don't need <laughs> a wheelbarrow to bring it into the kitchen. <laughs> but it's actually, uh, it's a slight... Uh, uh, slightly different to my other books, which were all cookbooks. This one is called Grow, Cook, Nourish. And what I'm doing and feeling so strongly about, now that it's becoming more and more difficult to get you know, real nourishing food. Uh, I'm just saying to people, for goodness sake, would you start to grow something yourself? I don't Mm -hmm. care if you live in Manhattan or Shanghai or Tokyo or wherever in a high-rise apartment, you can still grow something. I mean, even if you don't have a balcony, all you need to grow something is you need some kind of container, you need some soil or compost, you need some seeds, you need Some water and you need light. That's it, and then you need a bit of patience to wait until it grows into something. (laughs) But basically, you could grow anywhere. You could grow uh, all your salad leaves. You could grow radishes, all that sort of thing. And the magic of being able to snip a few little leaves, and you know, most importantly, you know what's not in it. And and uh, that's uh, and then you go you go from there. So uh, I've in this book, it's grow, cook, nourish. It's encouraging. Uh, people to grow something anything from themselves and also in the book there i don't know how many different uh, vegetables and fruits and herbs and wild foods and also things we have in it but it's just all of these are grown here on this farm there's a huge biodiversity on the farm and it's saying well look i grew them so you could grow them and whereas you might start off with something like salad leaves it's amazing how you catch the bug and then even if you are in a city you might be able to grow on your roof or you might be able to get a little piece of waste ground in your area with a couple of others you might be able to if there's an allotment all the allotment seems to be seem to be oversubscribed now again this is millennials going back and desperately wanting to grow something or you could grow in buckets or something so anyway that that's also part of our philosophy here then I encourage people to get hens as well if they can <laughs> uh, and keep bees all of these things you can do and it can so enhance the quality of your life the other ironic thing nowadays is that a lot of people know so much more about the lives of celebrities than they actually do about how their own food is produced, I mean yes. what are we like mm. uh, They're the having handed over so quickly the responsibility of of our food choices to the supermarkets and the multinational food companies. I mean, hello. I mean, they, it's not their responsibility to keep mm-hmm. us healthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, their responsibility is to their shareholders To uh, And so, you know, how crazy are we to actually hand over our trust over something that's so important to our own lives, the lives of our children, our health and all of that uh, to these multinational food companies. So we need to take back control and even if it's only a little bit,
1: step by step, a little bit at a time, that it's really important. I r we're obviously big advocates of that at Future because one of the things that we do with our content is we try and put a face to people's food. Yeah. So we sometimes harass our farmers. Yeah. <laughs> um to talk to us because people want to know who's growing their food and it gives them a very different connection. You're right, yeah. the millennials they do kind of feel disconnect and they're trying yeah. to figure and growing something yourself is a great way, I think also to learn how to value your exactly. food again. Do you know? Because exactly. you know the yeah. work that goes yeah. into it.
2: And the other, um, uh, that's another reason why farmers markets are so appealing because uh, you meet the person who has uh, grown or produced your food. Uh, you can look them straight in the eye uh, and connect with them. And so, but it, but also it's really important as with, in. You know, all areas of of sourcing food, uh, they, uh, there's there's a real trust and mm-hmm. and the, I always say in farmers markets you're only or anywhere you're only as strong as your weakest link. So yes. it's really important that what you what you say is what you get, and then a lovely bond of trust builds up between the customers and the food producers. And I'm absolutely delighted to see this is one of the things that's cheered me up more than anything is to see um new um routes to market being developed for farmers and food producers i mean an example would be the hugely successful farm drop uh scheme in the uk yep. and more recently here in cork actually um jack crotty is a past student actually of the of the boundary okay. Country school here he has set up a neighbor food in cork city and this is a sort of Uh, this is linking technology with the local producers I mean there are lots of models of this but this is a particularly successful one it's a local sort of food network this is not competition to the farmers markets it's as well as the farmers markets because a lot of people who are working all day can't obviously get Mm -hmm. to the farmers markets there are very few surprisingly uh, still, night markets in Ireland, if any really, mm. uh, there's a need for those. But this uh, neighbour food model uh, means that people can, you know, collect their food in the evening at a certain time. And as well as that, then there can be branches of this all over the country. So mm. I just think this is an incredibly important development. So, from the point of view of us mothers and grandmothers and so on, and um, busy people feeding our families, I think um, one of the Really important things that I suppose is ingrained in me since I was a child. Um, my mother loved to cook and she was absolutely convinced and often you know used to say in passing, "Well, if you don't put the energy into putting the the food on the table, you'll give it to the doctor or the chemist mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I always knew that that our food was our medicine basically and I'm now 70 years of age and I've got of course children and 11 grandchildren but when I was a child uh, you know there was I suppose in the the house I remember there was calamine lotion, there was syrup of figs I think there might have been an aspro or something and there was that uh, there was um, iodine I think it was Mm -hmm. uh, if you got a cut and that was it Um, and uh, you know we absolutely knew that to keep healthy and to, to keep you you know to to minimize the number of colds and things you might get in the winter it was all about broths and soups and stews and good eggs and a fat chicken occasionally and so on rather than nowadays so many uh, people have medicine cupboards i mean you could set up a field hospital practically (laughs) from the amount of uh, of various things that are in people's houses in terms of you know vitamins minerals all that sort of thing and i feel very strongly that it's much more important to invest your money in getting real wholesome food so basically uh, there's lots of research now to show clearly that the less you spend on food the more you spend on healthcare so mm. it's very very clear so and and sometimes people say to me you know and I, when i say you know do your best to source Um, you know chemical free organic food uh, if you possibly can it's really really worth the investment and people look at me and sort of roll their eyes and say well it's all very fine for you because the perception is that they think that that I can afford it and I say well look hang on a minute now you know we all make time and money for what we think is important Uh, so and I say to people okay so you tell me you can't spend any more on on food or on produce uh, every week, well, tell me how much you spent on those nails last week or on your hair your hair or on magazines or on all the other gadgets, and then suddenly we realize that actually each of those is a decision, and we realize that actually food is a long way down a lot of people 's priorities mm-hmm. i mean we 're spending a fraction uh, of our income on food in comparison. To the 1950s and 1960s, yeah. it's now I think about 11 or to 12 yeah. percent, mm-hmm. as opposed to between 30 uh, percent up or down a little bit from that um, in the you know in in ter- in real terms in of our of our incomes. So many people's main focus when they go shopping, it's kind of almost like a, a, a paranoia when they go shopping is how cheap something is, and basically. Uh, cheap food is a myth in health terms, in real in yes. uh, socioeconomic terms, it's a myth basically. Because if you even look at it from the taxpayer's point of view, um, you know the price on the shelf is about a fifth of the real price if we were to have true cost accounting, which we jolly well need to have actually. So in other words, as taxpayers, we pay for it once when we buy the when we pay for the product on the shelf. We pay for it a second time as taxpayers to fund and give subsidies to what's a totally unsustainable food production system. Mm -hmm. We pay for it as taxpayers to clean up the water and to recover the fertility of the soil uh, and clean up all the pollution, and not to speak of, fund the health service. Uh, So, you know, if we had real cost accounting, the real price of food, I can tell you it would really wake people up. And I think a lot of people don't realise as well the importance of trying to buy as much food as you possibly can directly Mm. from the producer. Because uh, basically, the reality is that if you're selling through the ordinary retail system, you'd be very lucky to get, well, very lucky to get 30% of the retail price, but more likely between 25 and 30% of the retail price. And uh, so that's why so many farmers are in absolute desperation because they are not being paid enough, nothing near enough to produce Um, healthy wholesome food they have been forced into a situation of being price takers rather than price makers and that's why I am so excited about these um, different routes to market like neighbour food because with this uh, system the farmer gets or the producer gets 80% of the retail price which is I mean it makes all the difference in the world to them and will of course make like with the farmers markets uh, which have made the difference between pe- many people still being on the land or actually having to give up um, it, it's really it is the difference in the, the amount they get paid for their produce and it's an insult I mean how come how can we actually justify asking uh, the farmers and food producers to produce food below an economic level what other sector of society has to produce something below an economic level and the, the most important thing our very survival depends on the food and yet we uh, reckon to pay so little for it mm. i mean of course there are people who cannot afford to spend more on uh, food every week but there are you know if if one grows a little something or whatever there are ways and of course the other hugely important thing the other bit of the jigsaw that's missing here is the fact that we've actually lost our cooking skills and somehow or other since the 1950s and 60s uh, our educational system has focused on encouraging people to acquire a set of academic skills and the Subliminal message, not even, not very, even subliminal message, is that the ordinary practical skills like cooking and growing and sewing Sowing and all of those sort, sort, of, all those sort of things are actually um, are of lesser value. I mean. What are we like to be letting our children and grandchildren out of our houses without the basic skills to feed themselves properly? Mm-hmm. Putting them right into the hands of the multinational food companies, you know, who are uh, there. Then they, they're dependent instead of being self-sufficient and instead of equipping them with the practical skills uh, to make them relatively self-sufficient. We're letting them out and you know, so that they literally can hardly make toast. So this is an absolute crisis. And the another thing that I hope I will live to see the day is that when uh, cooking is practical, cooking is re-embedded in the the national curriculum. And I think we're failing in our duty of care to our young people by not doing that. Uh, so back to the Western A. Price Foundation, conference and philosophy. I've been a member of Western A. Price for a number of years now, partly because I was attracted so much to their philosophy because I agree with every word of it. And they very much encourage us to eat a traditional diet. And when I talk about a traditional diet, basically I'm not talking about eating corned beef and cabbage and an Irish stew every day (laughs) of the week, Uh, good and all as that is. I'm talking about eating a diet of real food and just totally ditched, the processed foods out of our diet. I mean, we know at this stage that they're killing us. Mm. And I'm not using that word lightly. I mean, we know that these ultra-processed foods are killing us. And at the moment, here in Ireland, 46.9% of all the food that is bought in supermarkets and put into people's baskets and brought home, and this is a European-wide survey, uh, is actually ultra-processed food, as opposed to 10-point-something in Portugal and 14-point-something in France. And so we're well up there and we're destined to be the most obese country in Europe by 2030. And I mean, what's this about? So there's an absolute crisis. And so it's easy. There's, in a way, it's really easy. All we need to do is to go back and eat real food food not edible food like substances just real food, food yes. and i mean it doesn't have to be expensive i mean mm-hmm. beautiful uh, flowery organic potatoes carrots cabbage turnips and you know we all know that uh, and, and this i do agree with that we've probably been eating far more meat than we need mm-hmm. for the last uh, uh, you know decade or so the people who can afford it um, and uh uh, but um, we certainly, I, am I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not a uh, a vegetarian. Although I could be a vegetarian, uh, but because I love a little meat from time to time. But uh, what we need, really, in a way, in, almost in the words of Michael Pollan, is to eat um, uh, eat food mostly plants and not too much of it. And uh, I mean, you could almost finish on that because it's, uh, you know, it's r- incredibly good advice. So, so a New Year's resolution. <laughs> so now, how about one's New Year's resolution? Well, all of us, I think, are uh, certainly, if we stop and think for a minute, are concerned about uh, feeding ourselves and our family um, as much nutrient-dense food as we possibly can. So I suppose if there were a couple of little recommendations, one would be to, when you go along to shop for your food, do it mindfully. I know that's a funny word to use, but think about everything that you put into your basket and ask yourself, is this actually going to enhance my health and the health of my family or is it actually going to cause uh, problems? Uh, so that would be the first thing. I would strongly urge people to uh, source as much chemical-free or organic food as possible it's really an investment The you know the, the less you spend on food the more you'll spend on healthcare I mean that's actually there's research to prove that now uh, so I think that's very important also um, if you possibly can uh, try to go to the farmers markets at least once a week if there's one in your area really good one support uh, and make a link with the local farmers introduce yourself to the the, the farmer who's producing the food it's lovely to meet them and to know exactly the source of the food you're buying and that you're going to feed to your family their food tour you could look at their website and link into the farmers that are in your area perhaps there and join in the whole conversation it may not be practical for some people to go actually out onto farms to get their food but there are other models as well apart from the farmer's market there's Um, something like for example neighbour food uh, where you can order online and then you can go and collect your food directly from the farmer or food producer at a certain time during the weekend so perhaps it could be our new year resolution could be to really uh, think about the food uh, we're feeding to our family and our friends and um, buy it in quite a different way and also if you go to the farmers markets uh, bring your children with you as well, and uh, talk about the food to reconnect the children with how their food is produced and where it comes from, because often they miss out on that bit of the jigsaw in this in our busy world nowadays.
1: That's fantastic. That's thank you very it, uh, much. Not at all you're uh, Thank you. Good resolution to have Yes. <laughs> okay. That's it for now, folks. Thanks a million for listening. To those of you who produce food, why not join the Fair Food Movement? Get involved, get in touch, join us. And if you're into Fair
0: Food, then become a supporting member or check out our Patreon page to help us create more content like this. Until next time, eat well, choose fair.